Romans chapter 12. As Abraham, after Abraham Lincoln became president, office seekers were besieging him all the time, as you can imagine, after a person first gets elected, trying to get appointments and make a special friendship with him and, and uh, one of the different offices all across the country. Well, not long after that, uh, Abraham Lincoln was confined to bed with typhoid fever. And he told his secretary, bring on the office seekers. I now have something I can give to everybody. Uh, a little bit frustrated maybe there. I'm grateful for the Bible because it always has something good for everybody. Amen? And I want to get use of that tonight. Uh, at the moment of salvation, God begins a work in our lives of sanctification. He works in us to transform us to be like Him. And he, as He does this work in our hearts and our minds uh, to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, we have to understand, if you've been a Christian any time, you know this is true. The devil will, will fight us every step of the way. Everything he can do to halt or to cripple that growth that God wants for us, he will do in our life. So understand this process of transformation uh, is something that we need to be committed to letting God uh, to, uh, work in us and conform us to his will. Let's read. It's just one verse. We're very familiar with the verse. We've preached from it different times. I'll read it again. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We, we pray, Lord, that you would use this verse tonight and help us to see maybe just a, a specific area in our life we could work at this transformation you desire for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Change, you like change? Change is inevitable. Some people hate change. Some people aren't happy unless something's changing. Uh, some people like the excitement of something new. Others get panicky when the slightest thing changes. Uh, the adapting to new change is difficult for some people. They find comfort in what's familiar. They find uh, they don't want their familiarity to be tempered with, and so they keep everything the same. Some stay in the same mindset, while others are constantly changing in every area. When the railroads were first introduced in the United States, there was uh, many people thought they would be our downfall. Let me read you a letter, or a fragment of a letter here, written to President Jackson. This was dated on January 31st, 1829. And I quote, As you may know, Mr. President, Railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour uh, by engines which, in addition to danger, endangering life and limb, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. The Almighty God certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. It's 15 miles an hour. That was written by Martin Van Buren. He was governor of New York. Later, as you know, he would become president. Uh, it finds, I find it interesting how some people re react to change. Whether we, or not we enjoy change, the reality is it's going to come in our life. We're going to see those changes. We can't stay in elementary school forever. Amen? I mean, at some point we have to move on to the next level. Most of us don't live in the same house all our lives. In fact, <coughs> many of us don't live in the same house for 
a decade or more. You know, people move. People are changing constantly. Uh, furthermore, most of us don't stay in the same body shape most of our lives. Amen? I mean, you looked in the mirror lately. What happened? Uh, have you seen pictures of yourself when you're young? And, and uh, people say, who was that? You know, who was this guy with all this hair? And then it was, somebody, and it was you when you were younger. Uh, technology changes. Society changes. Government changes. The list could go on and on. Now, not every change is good, I grant you. Many changes are bad. Uh, but we can often look back on some things in our lives that God has changed and be thankful to Him uh, that that has happened. Because every Christian has areas in their life that need to be changed after salvation. We call this process, this change in our life, sanctification. Or we, at the word we're going to use tonight, transformation. The moment we get saved, we're infants in uh, our Christian lives. But as we grow in Christ, hopefully we grow in Christ. Some people don't grow in Christ. You know, it's uh, uh, a ba I just held a baby this week, as I told you this morning, the most beautiful baby uh, in America currently. And uh, I held uh, this granddaughter of mine this week and cute as a button. Um, once in a while, there's gurgling noises. They're not coming from her mouth. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, we expect that in babies, okay? We expect that we have to change diapers in babies. But changing a diaper on a 15-year-old because he refuses to grow is not as cute anymore. You understand what I'm saying? Some Christians are like that. They stay babies. And a baby is cute when it's a baby, but eventually we expect them to grow up beyond that point. And so as we grow in Christ, God wants to develop us as we walk with Him continually. He wants to wean us off spiritual milk which is great to start out with, uh, but we need to begin to feast on the meat of his word as well. He wants us to mature and to change. This transformation is so important to God because he desires growth for us. He wants us to grow all the time in our life. Ask yourself, have you grown in the last year? Have you grown in the last month? Uh, are you growing now? He wants us to continually grow. Turn your Bibles, keep your finger in Romans 12 there, but turn your Bibles, if you were to Hebrews uh, chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, uh, just a couple of verses here I want to read you. <clears throat> Verse number 12. For when the, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, not of strong meat. So the writer, which I believe is Paul, but he's writing here when... You should be at the stage in your life where you're teaching others. But now you still have to be taught the basics. You're, you're, you still have to be in discipleship class. And you have to just learn the basics of the oracles of God, he calls. You ought to be eating meat, he says, but you are still uh, on milk. He wanted to go into a deeper study of the heavenly priesthood of Christ in this chapter, but there was a problem, not that he was a dull writer, but that he had dull hearers. He wanted to move them from milk to meat, but he couldn't do it until they grew up a little bit in their Christian life. How many Christians today still live on milk? That is the ABCs of the gospel, essentially. Uh, they, just, uh, they, they don't ever get deeper into the Word of God. And how much do we miss when we don't get into the Word of God? There's, there's so much nourishment there. And the nourishment that we gain from meat of the Word of God as we grow and get in a deeper relationship with Him. There's so many things we miss out in our Christian life 
when we don't go there. And it saddens me. We have people in our churches, every church does, who are just nib- just sipping on the milk. Come on Sunday morning sometimes, they're not that faithful, and just kind of come when it's convenient or whatever, and thankful every time they're here, but they're not getting anything out of the meat of the Word. And you who are here, you who are faithful, hopefully you're in, in the Word, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's a lot of nourishment on meat. All right, I like milk as much as the next guy. Amen? Uh, and that's, that's all fine and good, but we don't want to live on it. The other night, I had steak. Amen? That's good. That's real good. I'd rather have steak than milk when it comes time for supper. Amen? And so we ought to want that in the Word of God as well. These people had been saved a long time. They should have been teaching others, but they had lapsed sort of in a second childhood here. The problem was they hadn't allowed the transformation God desires for. So as we go through this process of change and growth, then we come to know him in a greater way and we're transformed into his likeness. Now, this is what we need to understand here. As we draw closer to him, as we grow and have fellowship with him, we will find great joy. So whether we like change or not, the transformation will ultimately bring us great joy. And we need to be open to it. We need to be open to allowing him to transform us. Some people don't like to be changed at all. Uh, I've, you, you've heard it, I've heard it. People get or lose their temper or they say a curse word. And that's just how I'm raised and that's just who I am. Well, God didn't call you to be who you am. He called you to change and to be transformed into the image of his son. So three things tonight, very quickly here. Uh, number one, transformation is a process. We're not immediately transformed to be exactly like Christ the moment we get saved. Unfortunately, wish that were true, but for some of us, especially those of us who have hard heads, it takes years and years and years and years uh, to become like Christ. And, and, and sometimes the process is just beginning, especially when we're just saved. It's a process that is called that that's called sanctification in the Bible that lasts throughout our lives. Now, unfortunately, for me and Pastor Nick and maybe a few others, physically we stop growing. We stop growing a little too soon, uh, but uh, quicker than I wanted to stop growing. Uh, Mike's laughing at me. That's not fair. He gets to be nice and tall. Uh, but anyway, lo, I am with you always, the Lord said. Lo, lo, he's with us. Um, but we never ought to get to a point where we stop growing spiritually. So we, we stop growing physically, sometimes too soon, but we never should stop growing physically uh, or spiritually. So we're always in the process of being transformed. Now, here's an important part to remember. Be patient. Be patient as God works in your life, in your hearts, to help you overcome wrong habits and wrong patterns. Recognize this process. Transformation is a process. Sometimes it takes a while. Uh, to get these things. Trust God to finish that good work He began in you. Exercise patience for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, have you ever noticed that we're usually far more patient with ourselves than we are with others? If we take years to learn something, that's okay. (laughs) If somebody else doesn't learn it in 10 minutes, then we're frustrated. We're not as patient with others. And uh, so be careful that in your progress... That it doesn't create an, a heightened expectation of others that uh, makes you impatient with them. We're all a work in progress. If you are further along or more mature than another brother in Christ or sister in Christ, be grateful for it. And now help them to uh, gain growth in their life as well. So there's three attitudes in this transformation as a process idea that will help us. 
Number one, don't quit. Don't quit. You don't have to be saved for long to realize that you're surrounded by people that have been walking with the Lord for decades. Maybe you're frustrated in your life with some stubborn sin or a besetting habit that you have, and others around you seem to have no problems like you have. I mean, that's, that you're just alone in this battle that you're fighting. Everybody else seems to have it figured out. That is a lie from the devil that he peddles every time he can. He tries to convince you you're the only one struggling because you're not. Everyone else is too. We all have struggles. <coughs> and so don't believe that lie from Satan. Don't let discouragement stop you from growing from where you are right now to your next level. Don't let Satan cause you to doubt God's care for you and his interest in your personal growth. He hasn't given up on you. You can tell that by taking a breath in and then letting it back out again. As long as you can do that, God's not done with you. When you can't do that anymore, you're laying uh, horizontally then, and he's done with you at that point. Until then, he can still use you. He's still got plans for you. Now, you can learn from examples of other godly Christians. Sure thing, we, we ought to. But don't get into the comparison game. Because what happens is we get convinced that we have an issue that we're dealing with, that we're the only ones battling this battle. If people knew what I'm fighting, nobody would have any words to say to me. Everyone else seems to have it all figured out. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Don't allow that to be a, uh, a discouragement for you. It's comparing your spiritual journey with somebody else's spiritual journey. On the other hand, you might not be bothered by the spiritual success of others, but your own spiritual inconsistencies. Again, may I remind you, recognize who is working in your life. Rest in Him rather than your own self-effort. Don't quit. Don't quit. So many people quit. I've seen it in ministry now for as number of years that I've been. I've seen so many people quit. They try out the God thing and they come into some troubles, and they come into some struggles, and they just quit. Any old body can quit. It takes somebody with a little character to continue on and uh, go on this, er this area of transformation. Troubles will come, but don't let them stop you. Don't let them defeat you. By the way, deep water doesn't drown you. You drown when you stop kicking. You stop fighting. Keep at it. Don't quit. No matter where you are in your Christian life, rest assured that God will work in you if you allow Him to. He wants to see you succeed. He wants to see you successful in the Christian life. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is a promise from the Word of God. Hey, I don't know and you don't know how your story will end, but never allow a chapter called I Quit until God finishes your book. Amen? So just keep on going. Be faithful. Number two, second attitude to have, don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied. Tonight we talked about the importance of contentment in, Bible, in, uh, in uh, discipleship. But in this area, we don't want to be satisfied. One of the most dangerous places in a Christian's life is to be a point of satisfaction. Dissatisfaction in this arena doesn't get the res <coughs> respect <coughs> that it deserves. Now, of course, we understand we need to be content with the things we have. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our character, and I don't believe we ought to be content ever with where our character is at. 
dissatisfaction is what leads us to growth. A baby who crawls, you know, it's interesting. I've had a number of kids and now a number of grandkids, and they all learn at a different rate. Some kids, I've had kids that are walking before they're a year old, and I've had kids that are walking after they're a year old. But eventually, this kid in their kid brain, they learn everybody else walking upright. I'm still on all fours. I'm not satisfied with my all fours, so I'm going to struggle, I'm going to struggle, I'm going to struggle until I can walk upright like mom and dad. Now, they might not go through that whole thought process, but that's what's happening. They're not satisfied anymore. Crawling is not enough. I can't get in enough trouble by crawling. I need to walk, and uh, then I can do more. And so that dissatisfaction leads to growth. Dissatisfaction in your Christian life will lead to growth. You're not satisfied where you are. You know what? I'm going to church once a week. I want to go twice a week, or I'm going twice a week. I want to go three times a week. Uh, I'm, I'm handing out one tract a week. I'm not satisfied with that. I want to hand out two tracts from now on. That dissatisfaction leads to growth, and that's what we ought to have in our Christian life. Dissatisfaction with where you are is what will drive you to the next level. Now, those that have been saved for many years, by the way, we're especially vulnerable to this because it's easy for those who have known the Lord for many years to kind of develop a mentality. We've got it figured out. Uh, we've been saved long enough. We know what to do, what not to do, what to say, what not to say. And so we get stuck in a rut kind of in our Christian life. And as a Bible, one of my Bible college professors used to say, a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. Uh, being in a rut is not a place you want to be. Dissatisfaction. It's what gets us unstuck. Dissatisfaction is what kills complacency. Transformation is a process uh, that doesn't end. There's always room for growth and progress. One of the most important phrases, this one, uh, look at, look with me here, uh, Philippians. I'll take you there and show you the verse I'm talking about rather than just quoting a part of it. Philippians chapter 3 and uh, verse number 12. Philippians 3, 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Brother, verse 13, Philippians 2. Brethren, I have not counted, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things which are before. I like that phrase, this one thing I do. Not these many things I dabble in. This one thing I do. Growth is going to include a focus. A focus on specifics. It's one thing to say, I need to be a better person. Right? That's a good thing to say. That's very general. It's another thing to say, I need to change my critical spirit. I need to work on my impatient spirit. I need to do in this era, this sin in my life. And we need to get specific. Get a one thing in your life and focus on that one thing. This one thing, he said, I do. And then grow in that. Second Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, so don't ever be satisfied. The one, uh, the first one, don't quit. Don't ever be satisfied. And then thirdly, don't be overwhelmed. Don't be overwhelmed. Though God promised He'd do this work in you, He never promised it would be easy. Here's a thing that we as adults understand, whether we like it or not. Growth always comes from difficulty. Growth doesn't come from easy. Remember what the Bible says in James? That, uh, what brings patience? Uh, the trying of your faith brings patience. It doesn't come from easy things. Growth always comes from difficulty. Times in the Christian life, uh, the, the, it, there's, there are times in the Christian life that 
that the process of transformation is challenging. It's draining. Trials will come. Satan will constantly be tempting you to go back to your old sinful ways. God will not lead you to another level of your transformation without providing you the spiritual growth, uh, strength to grow. Through the power of Christ, you can be transformed. Uh, and again, we're going to get to how in just a minute, but just understand Christ is doing the work and it is a process. All right. Secondly, transformation is not only a process, it is personal. Transformation is personal. It's your decision. Now, here from... I haven't done it, but this is what I read anyway. The steps to becoming a doctor. Earn a bachelor's degree, it's four years. Take the medical college admission test, MCAT. Complete medical school, that's another four years. Earn a license, and then complete a residency. So you have eight years of school, and then a residency of three to eight years to be a doctor. In this residency, he or she will actually put to practice what they learned in all that schooling. Well, this is kind of like the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters of Romans are our school. Uh, he's telling us all about what God did for us. He's telling us all about our salvation and what it means and what it is. And then he gives us all that book learning, uh, how we're saved, how we're sanctified, how we're freed from the law. Uh, Romans chapter 6, we're freed from the power of sin in our life. Then Romans chapter 12 begins our residency. This is where we put to practice everything that we learned in the first 11 chapters. That's why it starts out with saying in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, therefore, therefore. We always look at what therefore is therefore. Well, the therefore is he's talking about everything he's talked about, chapters 1 through 11. So because of all that, because everything I just told you, present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Let him transform you. I think that's an interesting point. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the theology of God's redemptive act in Jesus Christ. This is the transition that we see from that to the growth expectations that flow from it. The knowledge he gives us in Romans 1 through 11 is not just for us to tickle our fancy, it's to put us to work. This is what he did for us, now this is what we do for him. We come to what is called the practical section of Romans in chapter 12 here. If God had not done what he did for us, then there's no reason we should do what he says. But he did, and his instruction for us arises from the logical relationship of who he is, what he has done for us, and now uh, we allow him to transform us. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Gives the instructions for personalizing this spiritual change in our hearts. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Transformation is the work that the Lord does in us personally. The church family member, a teacher, cannot make this decision for you. It's one that you must make for yourself to allow God to work in and through you. Now, this might bring up a question, how? How do I allow the Lord to transform me? Is it my job or is it God's job? Is, is God the one who does the work in me? What do I need to do to allow him to do it? It goes back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 here. Look what it says. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament... An animal was offered to the Lord as a sacrificial offering. Here Paul is using the picture uh, to encourage us to present our lives as an offering to the Lord. We're a living offering offered up to him to do with what he wants. We're his. We're, uh, it's a personal sacrificial offering. Our bodies as a living 
sacrifice. We're surrendered to him. You make this transformation a personal matter by surrendering your life to the Lord. That's how you do it. If you uh, surrender to him, then he can begin that transformation process in you. How does he transform? Obedience, really. It comes right down to that. We just obey in all areas. Number two, it should not waver with circumstances. Think back to the day of that... Uh, uh, this th it, Number one, it was your decision. Then secondly, it should not waver with circumstances. Think back to the day you got God's gift of salvation. Uh, just how it might have been years ago for me. It was <clears throat> years ago, a while. How has the Lord changed you since that day? How have you grown? If you see spiritual progress, praise the Lord. That's good. You should see spiritual progress. Hopefully, you can look back to the day you were saved and say, I'm a different person than I was back then. I've grown. I've changed in the Lord. Now, if not, if you haven't transformed from that, if you haven't changed, if you're still the same as you were then, still that it's not God's fault. It's our fault because we had not presented our bodies a living sacrifice. Many times you hear a challenge like what we're talking about tonight, and you think, you know, I want to change, um, but then reality sets in, trials come, family struggles. We allow circumstances to stop the work that God wants to do. We become so overwhelmed by tough situations that we lose our zeal to be transformed. Have you ever uh, come forward at an altar, maybe on Sunday, but by Monday that zeal has fizzled? You make a decision, but then it's hard to follow through with it. Now, trying circumstances and difficult times in our life are going to do one of two things. They drive us away from God or they drive us toward God. It depends on our attitude. Don't allow circumstances to steer you off course. Give those trials to the Lord. Let Him use them to bring you closer to Him. All right, transformation is a process. Transformation is personal. And then thirdly, here's my favorite, transformation is practical. I, If I had a superhero name, it would be Mr. Practical. I like, practical. I like practicality. I don't know why I said that makes no sense, but I like the practical. I like to see what the Bible says and then see how it affects me practically. Transformation is personal in that we present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. But transformation is also practical because there are specific steps we can take. Uh, the key step of spiritual transformation is to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Now, the renewing of the mind is not theoretical. It's practical. It's something that we can... It is completely a a uh, practical, everyday uh, thing that we need to do in our life. Now, here's the process. There's three steps. These are maybe seem to be oversimplified, but this is, this is really the process of it. Number one, take the old out. Take the old out. We remove sinful habits. We remove our old destructive relationships out of our lives. We remove our thought patterns. That's a difficult thing to do. Uh, we do that through the Word of God, some, you know, how many times I've counseled guys in jail who, you know, they got all these plans and when they, they get out, they're going to have this new life. But what happens, they go back to their sinful habits. They go back to their sinful relationships. They go back to the same patterns they had before and they're back in the same situation they were. We've got to put take the old out. You do this by confessing your sin to the Lord uh, and uh, putting it under the blood. Hebrews 9, 14, how much more so the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serving the living God. Sometimes people try to transform their lives without getting rid of their sin. Not going to happen. 
You've got to get the old out. God will not grow you if you have unconfessed sin. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Number one, take the old out. Number two, put the new in. This is deep, isn't it? Take the old out. Now we put the new in. Get rid of those old thoughts and patterns dishonoring to God. Allow God to transform your mind by replacing those thoughts with new ones that please Him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is a verse everyone should have memorized. Every Christian should have this verse memorized. I said that, now I'm going to read it. That's really hypocritical, isn't it? I'll work on it after service, okay? I just realized what I said when I said that. Now I have to read it. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That's an, that, that, Like I say, we ought to have that memorized because... Every thought that we think, we ought to present it with the Philippians 4.8 test. When my son was here recently. He preached on the filter. Remember, he had that filter. That's the verse. Talk about that filter. How much would our life be different if we ran our words and our thoughts through that filter? Philippians 4.8. By the way, this is a great gossip killer. If anybody ever calls you or starts to talk to you about somebody else or wants to put somebody down, oh, let me, let's read a verse. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, honest, lovely, good report, virtue, praise, think on these things. Go ahead. You were saying? That's going to kill a lot of gossip and bad conversation, I have a feeling. Is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it good report? How would your conversations change every day if we run everything through this filter? We put the new in, what I'm talking about. We take out the old, we put in the new. There's several ways you can put good thoughts in your mind. Any time that a sinful thought pops into your mind, start thinking about a passage of Scripture. Memorization. You can read godly books. Listen to God-honoring music. That's a big one. It's something I've had to learn with my kids because I'm not one of those guys that has to play music all the time. Some people are. Some people love having music all the time. Even as a teenager, I wasn't big on music. I like books on tape. I'm one of those boring people. I read books on tape. So if I'm listening or if I'm traveling or if I'm walking or my daily jog, yeah, uh, I like, I'm listening to books. That's why I don't jog very fast, you know. Instead of Rocky going on, it's like, a, yeah. So, uh, but uh, you change your music up. You'd be amazed how Lord can help your purify your thinking by listening to godly music. And we have we have it available, by the way. If you need something, we've got it available. Uh, they're still in the old CD form. Remember those round discs that we used to slide into things? Uh, those are uh, we still have CDs, and we'd, I'd love to help you if, you if you need that. But listen to God mu- mu- music. Expose yourself to biblical preaching. Be in church every time the doors are open. Amen. Uh, be faithful to the Word of God. Those That will help you start putting the new in. And I, I tell you, folks, and I know you know we're friends, and I know you're going forward in your spiritual life, and I'm grateful for that. There's so many that I wish were where you are, that I talk to every week, and that I'm counseling with all these problems. They're not in church. They're not reading the Bible. They're not certainly not listening to God. You're not doing any of these things, wondering why they're struggling so much. You got to take the old out, and then you got to put the new in. There's a replacement theory there. Uh, it's not that difficult. The Christian life is not rocket science. Amen. It's pretty simple. Do what God tells you to do, and it'll help you. Take the old out, put the new in. But it's not done there. 
All right, you've gotten rid of the sin in your mind. You replaced the old thoughts with new ones. But I got unfortunate news for you. The battle's not over yet because now we have to guard what goes in. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. The devil will still fight you. He will still try to infiltrate you. He'll do everything in his power to get you to fall back to where you once were. He'd love for you to fall back to your old sinful self. But even if he can't take you back to the alcohol or take you back to the sinful living before, if he can just take you down a few notches, if he can take you down from that once a, uh, two times a week back to once a week or whatever your, your step up was, your growth before, he'd love to pull you down. He wants your mind off Christ, back on the pleasures of sin. Uh, but you, because of this, you always have to keep your mind on the defensive. Keep your heart with all diligence. I mean, that is like not falling asleep on guard. That is like always watching, always being prepared. Some of you may be struggling with great battles in your minds and some of your thoughts might not be pleasing to God. Other thoughts might be sinful. If you allow this to continue, we'll be miserable. That's just what happens if we allow those things into our mind. We have to stop it. We have to cut it out. I mean, you have to be careful. I know I do anyway. Let's just say me. <laughs> Instead of putting words in your mouth, I have to be careful what I watch on television. I have to be careful what I stream. I have to be careful what pops up on my YouTube channel. I mean, I keep, I never look at anything inappropriate on you, but yet once in a while stuff pops up and it, it uh, you have to be careful. You always have to watch. I've never had a home security because I've never had anything worth stealing. But if I would get a home security system, I would understand, I think, the importance of having every door wired or whatever they do, right? Wouldn't do me much good to put in a security system and only wire the front door, would it? It wouldn't make much sense. I think I would do the doors, the windows, everything. Uh, in our spiritual life, sometimes we put a guard here but not a guard there. We've got to watch every entrance, our ear gate, our eye gate, uh, all these different in incomings that we need, the, the people we spend time with, the shows we watch, the videos we watch, the books we read, the mag... Satan will try any way he can to gain an entrance. You be careful. That's why the Bible says to guard and do it with diligence, keeping thy heart with all diligence. You experience the transforming power of Christ, you have to guard every entrance into your mind. Only you know the specific doors of your mind that Satan knocks on. Could be discouragement, could be impure thoughts, could be doubt, anxiety, covetousness, jealousy, wicked temptations, whatever it is. You're the one that, you, you know, and Satan knows, the things that you struggle with. And uh, set up guards then to protect your heart and mind and defend against the devil's attack. God will bless your effort. We ought to set up those guards. I mean, let's have some common sense, right? If we have, if we struggle with what we see on the computer screen, then the computer probably shouldn't be in the basement where you are by yourself. Amen? I mean, that makes sense, right? Put it in a public place. Put it where you don't get tempted. Put it, set up guards is what I'm saying. And, uh, this is what we have to do. We have to protect ourselves from ourselves sometimes. If you want God to transform you, we're going to have to offer ourselves to Him. We have to take these things out of our life and put the good things in. And God will bless your efforts. Oh, He will. He'll help you. You'll find great joy in the Christian life as you continue this journey. Now, in closing, I want to tell you one thing here. Uh, verse 2, 
and be not conformed to this world. The word conformed means to be pressed into the shape of another. And I, I think I even used this illustration in church here a few weeks ago, but like the burger press, you put a ball of meat in a burger press and you press it together and it comes out in the shape of a patty. That's the idea of conformed here. The world is going to try to do that to you. It's going to try to press you into its shape. Boy, does it ever. And if we step outside that shape, they'll attack with full force, calling us bigots and hatred and racists and all those type of things if we're not in their mold. Well, the Bible says don't be conformed to the world. But that word for conformed, I, I find interesting, is a neutral word. It can have a good implication and a bad implication. In fact, it is found twice more in Scripture, this original word for conformed here. Both times, it's talking about being conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8.29 is one area. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The other verse is Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. So the word conform here gives us the idea of being fashioned or shaped into something. Like, you ever whittle on a stick? When I go camping, it's one of the things I like to do is take a, I can only make one thing because I'm not that good, but I can take a stick and I like to whittle a little dagger out of it. You know, it's pretty easy. And uh, so, shaping something, forming something from it. Uh, that's the idea of being conformed. Our world defies, de defines success by money, by accomplishments. And if you allow the world to whittle you into its shape, that's what you'll be, materialistic, selfish. You'll be, you'll, you'll, uh, be living for self by the time the world's done with you. You'll be in a never-ending journey of seeking prosperity by the world's standards. I'm just saying, don't let the world conform you. Be transformed to the image of Christ. Let him allow you to conform you to his, uh, who he is, and that's what we're looking for. So hopefully those things are help to you, and uh, so much we can learn out of these couple of verses here in Romans 12. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for the the lesson that we can have, and this idea of being transformed. I pray that you'd help us to be submissive to you. Help us, Lord, to be yielded to you so that when you want to make these changes, we would allow you to do it work in our heart and our life. Lord, thank you for each and every one that is here tonight. It means so much to me and yet more to you even that there's a desire for growth in their life, wanting to go forward get to the next level. We pray that we might be dissatisfied with where we are right now as far as our Christian life goes. Help us to grow as we uh, look to forward to serving you better. We pray now you'd be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.